Hi, I'm Bronwyn Clark. Hi, I'm Bruce McAvaney. Hi, I'm Jenny Williams. Hi, I'm Tom Wren. Hi, this is Wendy Schaefer. Hi, it's Keith Bradshaw. And I'm Ben Hook. In conjunction with Sport SA and the Breakthrough Mental Health Research Foundation, this is Hooked on Sport. Hey there, and thanks for tuning in once again at Hooked on Sport. This is episode 29, and the show hit 7,000 downloads last week, which the team is immensely proud of, so thank you for joining our community. Now, to be honest, we don't expect everyone will want to listen to every episode. We're a broad church, and a cricket fan may not be bothered about what's happening in, say, netball. But today is a little different. Today, we focus on the challenges of shutting down and restarting sporting events for athletes with a mental disability many of whom can't perhaps grasp why all of a sudden their sport, which gives them so much joy, has been taken away from them. Corrine Strauss is the head of Special Olympics Australia, and she sees firsthand the importance of sport for everyone, and she knows the angst of shutting it all down. She joins me shortly. Hi, it's Steph Nair, and you're listening to Hooked on Sport. Corrine Strauss, welcome to Hooked on Sport. Thanks, Ben. Great to be here. Thank you so much for joining us, Corrine. For people who have no understanding whatsoever of what you're about, what are the Special Olympics? The Special Olympics is a global inclusion movement for people with intellectual disability and autism to empower people with intellectual disability to live rich and full lives. We also stand to uh, end the discrimination of people with intellectual disability Um, and ensure that they have a rich and fulfilled life through sport. And you know with sport, you only have to think about what it's like when you're dribbling a soccer ball and you're all playing together at work or, you know, during the weekend. It doesn't matter who you are. The end game is to get the ball and the goal. And that's a wonderful thing about sport. It does bring us all together and leaves all the other issues behind. I'm sure pretty much everyone in Australia would be in contact or know someone or have someone in their family who who is challenged by an intellectual disability. How many athletes do you manage, Corrine? So we have over 7,500 athletes uh, or participants in our program. About 3,200 of those are athletes who have been with the organisation. They are athletes who participate in our games. They belong to the club structure, whereas the other half are people who are through our school's program or community program. We talk about our community of about 7,500 participants, some of whom come to training week in and week out, and some of whom participate through um, schools. And just uh, just as an aside, you mentioned about every somebody knowing someone. It's interesting that there is one in every 28 people in our population who either has a child or a sibling or a cousin with intellectual disability or autism. It does touch us on a daily basis. Corinne, in your assessment, where are we at with embracing uh, all abilities athletes, uh, people with an intellectual disability? And I guess I'm referring in particular to the sports sphere. We've seen even very recently challenges with embracing different cultures into Australian sport. We've only just recently seen something resembling equality with women being able to get the same opportunities that men have had for so many years. Where are we at with athletes with, a, with an intellectual disability? 
I would say to you, Ben, I'm an optimist and I see things through rose-coloured glasses. And right now I see that there's been a huge improvement around inclusion of people's intellectual disability in sport. However, having said that, we're still a long, long way to go. The issue I think that we often face is that a lot of the sporting organisations just don't feel confident or understand how to work with people with intellectual disability. They seem to be fearful of it for some reason because it's the unknown. And I guess because they sometimes think that dealing with people with disability is awkward. But yet, actually, when you get together with them, all of that sort of evaporates and um, you can get on with it. But I think we're on a good journey. I think we've made quite a few insteps. I think Special Olympics, particularly in the last few years, um, we've been on quite a, a change in this area. And so... I would say to people who are managing sport, who are playing sport, who are volunteers in sport, is to open your eyes to the possibility of including people with intellectual disability. There are now so many materials out there and courses. We deliver a whole range of courses um, online, and that way you will be able to be confident about including people with all disabilities. Corrine, I've got family involvement in two sports clubs uh, here in South Australia, Goodwood Saints Football Club and Contacts Netball Club. And I know that both of them have immersed themselves in providing opportunities for athletes with an intellectual disability. If you're someone who's involved in a local sports club, Adelaide, Melbourne, right around Australia, but you've got no idea where to start, but you'd love to be able to make a difference, where is a good place to start if you would like to be able to engage perhaps the, the origins, the formations, of some sort of team with an intellectual disability? So there's various ways that you could go about it, one of which is that you could connect through Special Olympics and we could facilitate um, your learning and development around that. You could partner with us to do more sport in the community, so help us with our own teams because we're always looking for volunteers. But a lot of the national sporting organisations are also working in the space as well. So if you have a particular interest, say, in cricket or soccer, you know, there are actually dedicated areas in the, in those organisations looking at training people up, including people in delivering sport in that area. There are boundless opportunities. I guess it's just a matter of deciding what sport you want to do or if you don't really mind what sport you're going to do but you want to be inclusive sports coach, um, then I suggest, you know, you could probably contact us as, as a starting point. Corrine, what specific challenges have you faced over the last couple of months? Pretty much every sport has been shut down. No one's been immune from uh, the challenges. But what are some of the particular challenges that you've had to deal with in the past three months? Oh, you know, Ben, the heartbreaking decision on the 6th of March to tell my community that we were to postpone sport with immediate effect, sports training, sports competition. By doing this, what I was doing was cutting off connection and cutting off purpose to get up every day and cutting off physical educa- uh, physical training. Uh, it, was, it was terrible. I mean, the athletes love their routine and they love connecting with their mates and all of that was just gone in one 
email message. So mm. that was tough. And obviously there was a bit of blowback around that, thinking that we were taking this too quickly. But of course, you can now see that by being proactive, we were ahead of the curve and we were able to manage it really quickly. You know, for us also, unfortunately, um, we had a massive hit on the revenue front as well because, you know, a lot of our untied revenue was, which is our fundraising events, was pretty much eradicated when all the events had to stop and people had to do their social distancing. So, you know, for us now is looking as to how we're going to continue to deliver sport in the way we have um, and also the plans that we had basically have been shelved so that we can just get back onto even keel. But we're very excited now. Um, we've been doing a lot of delivery of sports fitness uh, through social media and we've been connecting with the athletes as much as we possibly can globally. And we've formed a little group called Fit5. And now on the 27th of June, I am just a little bit excited <laughs> to say that we are returning to sport. <laughs> And so now there's a lot of excitement. Everyone's looking forward to getting back out again. I imagine that it would have been extremely difficult for you to share the message with your athletes and your participants that things were going to have to close down because I imagine there are some members of your community that found that message a little bit more difficult to comprehend. But conversely, I would also imagine that there is unparalleled excitement in your community now with the knowledge that things are starting to get back to normal. Yeah, very, very much. And again, you know, it's like when you open the gate and all the animals just want to run out and, you know, you kind of totally, like, totally got to try and keep the control in because, you know, you, you've got freedom and you kind of want to forget about all the social distancing and all the things you've been taught and trolled to do over the last few months. And we've really got to make sure all of that stuff stays in place, all the hygiene measure, measures, etc. You know, I have to say to you, Ben, stopping was tough. It was very, very tough. But I have to say to you that starting actually has been harder because there are so many different layers of complexity for us as a national organization and a multi-sport organization. Mm. So we have 14 sports and we operate across Australia. And every state has a different guideline around returning and every sport has a different guideline about returning. And then, of course, there's us and our own guidelines and working with vulnerable people. So it has been very difficult to put a plan together, but um, we have done our plan and it's been circulated right around the world and even countries overseas have been wanting to copy our plan for return to sport. So I'm pretty proud of the work my team have done. It's a comprehensive document and it's really good for the athletes, the coaches, the administrators in terms of how we manage returning to sport. Let's take a short break to hear from John Mannion at the Breakthrough Mental Health Research Foundation. It's brilliant that we're starting to return to sport, to return to physical activity and to be part of a team again. Both wonderful things that will have a positive impact upon our mental health. But for some of us, the time out of sport may have been a challenge. And so returning to the sporting group might be difficult for us. Therefore, we think it's really great if we look out for each other. And one way to do this is to know the five signs of mental distress that can help ourselves, our family and our friends. So why not look out for things like, is somebody not feeling themselves? Have they started to become withdrawn? Maybe they're showing some signs of agitation. They could be starting to neglect themselves or having conversations with you where they're expressing their feel sense of hopelessness. 
If this is the case, it's important to reach out and to put your hand up. Take the time to connect with your families and friends. Give yourself permission to relax and to recharge. Remember, it's normal to feel stressed, sad and confused, and talking to a trusted family or friend can really help you. Remain calm and try to keep a routine as normal as possible. Look after yourselves and your loved ones. And remember, we're all in this together. And now back to the show. Kareen, I imagine there are some requirements that you have to put in place and you would be significantly responsible for teaching coaches to specifically be able to uh, develop your athletes and your participants. Is that a, a key part of the role of Special Olympics? Yes, and that is why we have coaching courses, training for coaches. We have a, a portal we call SOA Learn. It's free for anyone who wants to learn how to coach people with intellectual disability or work with people with intellectual disability and autism. And so, yes, absolutely. And we also do a lot of mentoring support for people who want to volunteer with us at Special Olympics. For us, though, interestingly, a lot of our volunteers have a lived experience. So they come with a very good understanding and uh, knowledge of working with people with intellectual disability. I'd say about half our population would be like that. And the other half are people who are wanting to contribute or learn or want to be more inclusive in their um, activities. Corinne, you talked about having 14 sports and some of them are athletic, some of them are team sports. I would imagine that for a number of your participants, being able to encourage them to gel and work together as a team has an extra level of challenge, if you like, but there must be some real mm. reward for the athletes themselves and their coaches and, and their families and friends when they see these athletes come together as a team and succeed. Everyone, including me, mm. and I cannot tell you, I, I refer to this probably inappropriately, but I do refer to this when I go to these events, I feel like it is absolute joy on steroids. It is just amazing. And I'll tell you a story about the World Games last year, where the basketball, the girls basketball team, they were in the grand final for the gold medal, and the score was constantly even. Then they were ahead, and then they were behind, and then they were ahead, and then they're behind. And with, like, almost no time left on the clock, it looked like we were going to be the silver medal. And as the buzzer went, Miss Pugsley threw the ball into the air, and it went into the hoop, and we won by one point. <laughs> and I cannot tell you how mad we all went. I mean, like, it was just absolutely incredible. And I fed off that for months afterwards. And if I was doing that, can you imagine what the athletes and the parents were doing? It was just incredible. <laughs> oh, I still – look at me. I still can't – I still can't stop thinking about it because it's, it was truly amazing, truly amazing. Um, and that's why they work so hard, Ben, you know, because – these are the moments that, um, you know, come to fall. Uh, we talked at the top that uh, traditionally there's been, I guess, a stigma and uh, I guess a, a lack of understanding around uh, athletes with an intellectual disability. 
Jack Homsch is uh, a good friend of mine here in South Australia, and Jack has been an AFL footballer with the Gold Coast uh, and with Port Adelaide and with GWS, and he's got a, a younger brother who uh, suffers from an intellectual disability. How important are top-flight athletes, uh, able-bodied athletes, uh, in helping you break down the stigmas associated with athletes with an intellectual disability? First and foremost, and I'll be absolutely honest here, that when you have people like Jack saying publicly, I have a brother or I have a sister with intellectual disability, it talks to the fact that it can be anyone who can have an intellectual disability. It doesn't choose where it goes. It's, it, it is where it is. And so what that tells you is that we need to be really open to inclusion around people's intellectual disability. And people like Jack telling his story, playing with his brother, be advocating for the benefits of sport for him is no different to the benefit of sport for person with intellectual disability. In fact, it is even better because it teaches them all those motor skills that they need. It teaches them the confidence they need because these people with intellectual disability are constantly marginalized, constantly misunderstood, and they have constant low expectations. And so... People like Jack speaking about his brother um, just highlights the fact that sport is important for everybody. And, and, and so, yes, they are really good, important advocates for us. Corinne, you had to make one very difficult decision a couple of months ago, and that was the decision to postpone the Junior National Games. It was uh, scheduled to be held in October this year in Launceston. You've moved that back one year. I'm sure that was a very, very difficult but necessary decision. What are you hoping to see in October 2021 in Launceston? So we're hoping that we can have 500 young athletes between the age of 8 and 15 years of age who love sport, who want to participate in sport, come and participate in the junior games. This is not a selection event. This is a participation event. And we're really encouraging sporting organizations who have people with intellectual disability in their teams or in their programs like swimming, athletics, basketball, gymnastics to sign up and join us in and give people with intellectual disability the opportunity to play in teams, travel in teams, experience sport just like everybody else does and have that great fellowship and camaraderie that we do when we have games. And, you know, I mean, you just need to see what happens in athlete villages. You know, there's so much activity that takes place and so many friendships that are formed. So we're hoping to have a fantastic junior games. And it is the precursor to the national games, which will be held six months later. Um, And the national games is over a 1,000 athletes from all over Australia It's a selection event for the World Games, which will take place in 2023. So, yeah, we're really looking forward to seeing as many people uh, around Australia come to Launceston, Tasmania in October next year for the Junior Games. And if anyone's interested, any sporting organisations, any parents um, who would like their child to participate in sport, is already doing sport, please call us. Let us know if you're interested and we'll connect you into the uh, programme. 
Karina, if I can just share with you a quick story to wrap up that I'm sure you'll enjoy. My wife has a nephew who's high-functioning autistic, and my wife has organized one-on-one golf lessons for this uh, young fellow. And I tell you what, he has improved out of sight, and he actually spoke to his mum, and the mum sent a message to my wife saying, that's the favorite thing of his week is his golf lessons. So it's quite amazing, isn't it, that you can see just with a little bit of effort the incredible development that, that, that these young kids, boys and girls, can make. Oh, totally. And, uh, and you know, they provide us so much joy. And I think more than that, our athletes, I have to say to you, Ben, through all that they've lived through, they've been through a lot of difficult times in their lives. And you think COVID's difficult, you know, because we've had to isolate. These guys have been isolated for so long. And yet they are our greatest teachers of tolerance and acceptance. It is a gift to be part of their lives. Corrine Strauss is a wonderful message. Thank you for joining us today at Hooked on Sport. My pleasure. Hi, I'm Bruce McAvaney, and you're listening to Hooked on Sport. I have unbridled admiration for the staff and volunteers who support Special Olympics. Their dedication is matched only by the athletes themselves. So that is the gold medal presentation ceremony on episode 29. As always, our gratitude to Sport SA and the Breakthrough Mental Health Research Foundation with support from Business SA and SA Health. Hooked on Sport is on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, so feel free to shoot us a note and say hi. Thank you to Ben Watson. He wrote and recorded the musical intro to Hooked on Sport. He is a talented young man. And to the show's producers, Wallace Long and Desiree McMahon. Desiree, also very talented. Wallace Long, question marks. Be kind to one another. We'll see you soon at Hooked on Sport. (laughs) 